2020, what went wrong, what went right? And songwriters are selling their catalogs and we're gonna take a look at 2021. Stick around, we have a lot to talk about. Hey, you know, welcome to Music Industry City's Tuesday Talkies, where we discuss what's going on in the world of music business. I'm Peter Schwing. Joining me today are my co-host, Sam Tall and the Duke. If there's something you'd like to chime in about, let us hear your thoughts in the comments below or join us in the chat. We got all the chats going on. We have Facebook, we have Twitch, we have YouTube. We're everywhere. But, you know, the best place to come and hang out with is, is really over on Twitch because that's more real time. Facebook uh, is like 20 second delay and all that stuff. Uh, and th this is going to be the last show, uh, last show of 2020 where everybody deserves a nice couple weeks off. It's been a busy year. It's been a grinding year. Uh, and Sam Tall is going to take a look back at what he's covered over the year and what went wrong and what went right and dip into his crystal ball and see what 2021 has to offer. So uh, let's get to this. Uh, you know, 2020 was a mess or was it? Sam, well, what do you think? Hey, Peter. So hey. it it was definitely a mess, but I think there are a couple of bright spots that we can carry with us into the new year. Uh, no, no bright Thank spots. God. I can't see out of this eye right now. This this eye has an eye infection. So it's like all the bright spots are really bad. It's a good way to end the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we can't we can't. Uh, it, I think this was the way that I ended last year a little bit was with this mental sensation of like, an airplane skidding down the runway sideways, just <laughs> barely making it and, and, and landing safely. And uh, I feel like the entire world mm -hmm. is ending this year that way <laughs> uh, and everyone in it. Um, so I want to run down a couple of things. I spent a lot of time in the last 24 hours uh, watching myself talk, which uh, <laughs> great. For the ego, uh, nitpicking all the things that I said right and wrong and all the all the weird mannerisms mm -hmm. and all the stuff. But in any case, there's a couple of things that I think it was very fascinating. You ever like look at photos or videos of yourself from like 10 years ago oh, yeah. and be like, ooh, that's that's grueling. That's embarrassing. How was I ever like that? Well, seven months ago. <laughs> it was like 10 years ago. And, and if you look at like our backgrounds and our production and our audience, oh, it was yeah. all just completely just like, <laughs> hey, let's just turn on the computer and go. And now now it's like, all right, we have we have a thing going on. All I right, mean, so, you didn't even have a green screen. You had like a, a payphone behind you. Yes, I had. Yeah. A, people missed the payphone. People have asked about the payphone. So I, I am going to bring <laughs> it back. I'll have to put it on a stand or something back here. There we go. So, all right, Sam, I'll, I'll let you ride with this one. Here we go. So... I think the the first things first is is one of the first things I talked about in early May was kicking the can down the road with live concerts, right? And so we all know the story there. It's probably not, you know, at earliest we're going to get live concerts maybe in the summer, um, probably more like the fall. And and the larger the concert, the later it's going to be before we see that return. My hope was that you know we would figure out a plan um, that would let us, you know take a three month look and then every three months adjust course. Turns out uh, that didn't really 
give us enough time to, to sort things out. And I think we spent way too much time chasing our tail. Collect we collectively, like not only as an industry, but with governments and with states, and we just spent a lot of time like hoping for a, a positive thing to come about, as opposed to putting aside uh, a, a determination about when it'll be fine and not actually doing the work about getting it fine. Um, on the bright side. We're seeing a lot of uptake in monetized live stream concerts. I think that's a new thing that, you know, for a few years, there's been conversation about how are we going to monetize live stream concerts? How are we going to make this a compelling experience when we have the real thing uh, as our last sort of like uh, finite resource when, when music is otherwise infinite and uh, limitless in terms of its access? Um, well, now we, we know. I think this year has accelerated a lot of the questions and a lot of the answers corresponding, whether it's live stream, whether it's uh, adoption of, of VR and how we meet in VR spaces, how we attend concerts, how we engage with uh, production. I think everyone's a bit of a micro broadcaster now, as we are doing here. You know, this is a primary mechanism of espousing our thoughts as opposed to getting out to networking events, working the room and kind of philosophizing amongst our peers. Um, we rely on formats like this. Um, I think that's going to stay the same. For, for most of the next year. We'll see if that changes. Fingers crossed that with the vaccine starting to roll out yesterday in the United States and last week in uh, Europe, um, that it's it's sooner rather than later, but I think it's gonna take quite some time for that to reach the sort of like fullest extent of what it needs to in order for everybody to feel confident. Um, the other thing that I really want to take a second on is the legal sort of landscape. There's a couple of things that happened this year uh, from a legal perspective, especially around streaming royalties, um, that I think are going to play a significant role in what happens next year. Um, if you recall, we talked about Eight Mile Style. Uh, this was this is uh, Eminem's sort of vehicle for containing some of the compositions and, and and master recordings around the film and some other works. And they've been embroiled in a lawsuit with Spotify since August of last year, and it's still ongoing. Um, I checked into that recently and saw that there's a bunch of, uh, you know, the normal sort of court filings, this and that, and lawyers doing this and that, but there's very little substance and, and traction since things changed up in July when Eight Mile Style added Harry Fox agency to the uh, debacle and, and made the case that Harry Fox was aiding and abetting Spotify in uh, defrauding Eight Mile Style of its royalties and issuing uh, uh, invalid notices of intent and trying to obtain licenses on through the compulsory system that they're not entitled to. Um, the entire system of compulsory licensing and the way that notices of intent or NOIs are issued and the way that Harry Fox agency factors into the equation of Spotify and other DSPs uh, issuing royalties, monetizing the catalogs, associating with publishers and songwriters is set to change at the beginning of the year. So this eight mile style lawsuit is basically the last thing. It's the last dying breath of the pre music modernization act uh, industry um, where there's sort of this, this sort of like old school rules had to be abided for things to be valid. That's going to go ongoing. I mean, we saw things with, uh, you know, David Lowry and the um, Wixen publishing lawsuit a couple of years ago, the things that were really were, you know, we thought would be the last thing that happened before the law passed and things changed up with 2018 and going into 2019. Apparently not. And I think this is going to have an impact on Harry Fox's reputation. I 
predicted that it might like completely smack Harry Fox in the face and they might get uh, a, a broader audit and inquiry. And that just didn't happen. I think Harry Fox agency, I have my own opinions on them and none of them are too positive. Um, they're sort of a necessary evil in the music industry, but I think they're kind of impervious at this point. And it pains me to say it, but I think that, you know, when the music, uh, mechanical licensing collective goes into, a, uh, goes into operation in the new year and the music modernization act starts to show its, its actual effects. Um, I think we're just going to see Harry Fox become infrastructure. They're going to become the Con Edison uh, of the music business in that, like, nobody loves what they do, but they're kind of part and parcel of New York City, you know, and the, and, and this is going to be part and parcel of the entire music ecosystem, inextricable. And I think that's one of the greatest sort of uh, coups of, of, of Harry Fox as an agency in its entirety. Um, and then last, I have one fun little thing uh, for you, Peter. Um we talked with Jake Knock this year, and you know we we bandied about his Spotify lawsuit and suing the entire music industry, um, and we made the sort of prediction that Jake would maybe execute some further unscrupulous legal behaviors and and try to just drum up attention for his own uh, businesses, and then maybe potentially parlay that into actual legitimate business operations with pro music rights. And, you know, it's generally not a bad idea. It's sort of a tune corization of the PRO model, except that Jake has done some more fishy things. Um, so recently in the artist managers connect Facebook group, Jake was very proud of the fact that he, uh, uh, settled some suits that then resulted in uh, an option to acquire shares of PR, uh, uh, pro music rights PMR by uh, some other companies that he had uh, allegedly been in uh, private uh, uh, arguments and lawsuits with and arbitration and whatnot else, uh, and, and transacted in the amount of like some $600 million. Um, the fact of the matter is, <laughs> It's all paper. It's not even money. It's it's just options. It's it's things that don't have to get exercised. It's not even sure if the suits are real. And frankly, every sign points to the fact that Jake owns these companies that he was suing or in a lawsuit against. Uh, look, Jake, if you're out there, I know you listen to this show. I know you watch the videos sometimes, and I know you're part of the community. Uh, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you think this is going to get you, but I just don't. I can't see it playing out well, but you know, it just, it, it smacks me of somebody who's just really trying to make a name for themselves by any means necessary. And there are more honorable ways. Um, I don't think this is going to make a power player. I think this is going to make a, a, a noisy jester in the court. And, and I think, you know, once 2021 kind of picks back up with live music and performing rights and we maybe see some more lawsuits against promoters who are failing to account when that's not even their business uh, for performing rights royalties, if anything, it'll be entertaining um, to watch. Um, I'll save my bit about the parliamentary inquiry into music streaming. I think that still has a long ways to go, but um, – if anybody remembers me talking about user-centric payment models, I think that's coming. And we'll probably talk more about that uh, once we see some responses to that in the new year. And that's my perspective. Right, right on. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so much there. And I, and I love the fact of like going back in time in the Wayback Machine. So let, let's work chron reverse chronologically because I do have a couple questions about 2020. So the UK parliamentary, we're going to be covering that quite a bit going into uh, starting in January. And we're going mm -hmm. to bring in some guests who are over in uh, the UK. So they're really uh, seeing it. They're being part of it. So we're going to uh, bring in some great guests on that. Uh, the Jake, the Jake story. Um, and again, like you, you, there was one thing you said, it's like, it's like, you don't, you don't know if it's just paper money because there was one thing that, that was, uh, that really stuck out in one of the sentences is, you know, here's the legal suit and the, uh, they can collect the options if they choose. Yeah. Which means they don't it's have to exercise it. Yeah. They don't have to exercise this. And yes, he does own the two companies. He's CEO, chairman of C and CEO of the two companies that he sued. So oh, Jesus, I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we love we love to just kind of like I mean, look, I, I hate to pick on somebody. And, I, I you know, it's just it's so bizarre. It, for for somebody making so much noise to have so little backing it and look i you, i would have held my tongue a little tighter probably earlier this year but now mm -hmm. it's just like well, it's so ridiculous well we had him on and it was like here let's let's hear your story because you know i'm all for people that are going to fight for songwriters rights sure. and songwriters rights like yeah so so like let's let's come together and let's support mm -hmm. it but when like you see something like this it's like it loses credibility in within the industry to take you serious on that, like, yeah, let's have another PRO. Let's do some, let's, you know, new, uh, I'm so like, what, like, I can't even think of words right now, but it's like, you know, to support each other and like, yeah, like, let's do this. But like when you start seeing this and this is what's being promoted as opposed to what the organization does. I feel like there was an opportunity to kind of be a next gen Jeff Price. Mm -hmm. A firebrand, a true fighter, a highly principled person who's, you know, who lives and breathes, you know, artist rights and artist royalties. And, you know, say what anyone will about Jeff is the fact is that he is dedicated to a true honorable cause. And it's probably at some points uh, to his credit and some points to his detriment, but you can't mm -hmm. fault him for trying so hard and being so um, rigid about his position and being really honorable in that respect. Yeah. And, and Jake is just like, he's aping the sort of attitude of it without actually doing anything of, on the backside of it. And it's just like, look, there's an opportunity for him to turn this around and I hope he does. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to talk to him about it and happy to even like work with him to kind of make that the case. Because again, yeah. I think, artist rights and user-centric payments and all this kind of stuff is super, super key to the next level of the music industry. But this, it's all for show. Yeah. And that's not the music. The music industry likes a good show put on by <laughs> performance. Not They don't like the dog and pony show because we're so, the music industry is so accustomed to bullshit that it's like, you can smell it, you know, walking yeah. us. It's like, and we all know, and, and we know who the snake oil salesmen are, and we all know that. And it's like, so it's kind of like, yeah, all right. But, you know, it is really the business that gets done. You know, it's really, there is that honorable business side to it. So uh, real quick then, uh, before we go, go over to the Duke, 2021, what is on your radar? So um, I think the UK parliamentary inquiry is going to set up a lot of things in other countries, uh, per perhaps the European 
parliament as a whole, uh, perhaps U.S. Congress. I think that's going to become more clear once we get on the other side of the, the Georgia Senate runoffs um, and which way the, the Congress is going to lean. Um, one thing's for sure is that we're hopefully and, and very probably at this point, it seems like it's increasingly the case, uh, going to spend the next four years uh, as bored as possible with government. That would be a great change. Um, so on that front, I think there's going to be a lot less uh, discussion of how government action impacts the music industry and a lot more operating in the music industry on a set of rules that don't really change that much because, frankly, we're all a little tired of change and unpredictability and things kind of shifting under our feet. That would be, in my opinion, probably the best case at this point. Um, and it, it seems likely that we're going to get a little bit of that um, stability and 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 you know boredom is not a bad thing. <laughs> I think it, we we can all agree on that now at this point. Um, and again, you know, I said this about when I was uh, referencing my take on Live Nation and concerts and all that stuff. Live Nation had enough capital to weather the storm. Um, we're seeing Mark Geiger, uh, who acquired a bunch of uh, stakes, or at least put together a fund to acquire a bunch of stakes in small venues, and that I think is going to become another uh, counterweight to Live Nation and AEG, which is well needed, uh, especially at that bracket, to recover the sort of um, starting line of the music industry. The base level, the introduction, the club scene is super, super key. Um, I'm holding out hope for that. I think there's mixed opinion, but I think once the club shows return, maybe late summer, early fall, fingers crossed, um, I think we're going to see a lot of talk about how right or wrong Mark Geiger was. I'm leaning towards right. That's my bet. Mm. That's that's a that's a you know good horse to attach it your wagon to so uh sam thank thanks for everything thanks for a fantastic year uh i'm gonna we're gonna cut over to the duke but then let's uh circle back and let you get everybody back on the screen all right sure so thing. thank you for that sam all right let's uh now turn our focus on to songwriters and selling off their music catalogs uh if you've noticed probably quite seen in the news uh a run uh about artists such as bob dylan uh, David Crosby selling their music catalogs. Uh, Stevie Nicks sold the majority. Uh, you know, why is this all of a sudden? So here's an interesting note that, um, you know, in the recent article in The Guardian, Mark Mulligan of Media Research stated, the music publishing deal market is at its peak. There has never been a better time. There may never be a better time. For hit artists from the 70s, 80s, and 90s to sell their rights, these deals are being done at 17, 18, 19, 20 times value. Uh, so which are the thoughts on this one? Let's, let's kick over to the Duke. Dave, how are you? Is that me that made it you mute? Oh, there we go. Now I can hear you. Hello, I'm here. Hey, hey. That was a wonderful uh, quote that, that you put there. So what's your thoughts? I mean, this is that you've seen the and there's so there's two things just, you know, to tee off is that when they talk about the Biden administration, we were, we discussed like the capital gains tax. So a lot of people are trying to get these deals in before it happens. But it's just like within the last week, you're talking about three very prominent songwriters in history. So what's your take? Dollars, man, is business. You know what I'm saying? And if you think about it from the artist's perspective, it's like so 
Bob Dylan was what, 300 million? And then Lil Wayne came in with 100 million. So you're saying in comparison, Bob Dylan is worth three times as much as Lil Wayne. And um, Lil Wayne, just to make up numbers, let's say he makes $10 million a year on his on his music that he sold. That's only 10 year, That's only a 10-year deal. In in ten years, he would have he could have made a hundred million dollars, but he he decided to sell it. So that to me, that says that that asset is not worth what it once was. A la blockbuster, Netflix. Like we can make new masters. You know what I'm saying? Just because you own the master doesn't mean that you own the song. That's a that's a totally different thing. If you own the song, that's a whole different number because that's forever. The master, you you of course you can use a milli the master, but I can make a new Amelie the master and I'm going to make my own deals because it's easy to get in touch with me because you could just DM me on social media. I don't need you anymore. So let's make a deal. And it's like, all right, cool. Uh, but let's, well, let's take all of this. And so say he is making $10 million a year. Now that record company or whatever company that is, now they get to make that $10 million a year. So for them, it's rad. It's like, oh, rad, I get to make this money and I get to own this master. But for the artist, it's also rad because you just got all this money in an asset that you know is literally just growing moss because you have a hard drive and you have a computer and it's a whole different game. So Bob Dylan, if he wants to re-record times they are changing, that's the new master. You got to call up Bob because Bob owns the song. So until you own the song, it's quite a different story. So we're really talking about in the music industry and these type of artists, we're talking about going grocery shopping pretty much for the next 10 years. It's like Trader Joe's, Whole Foods. Let's make sure we eat well, but we got another 50 years in front of us, little Wayne, 60 years. So, you know, we got to really think about the big picture. 10 million, $100 million is just the house payments for the next 10. Make sure we make, have our four cars and you know what I'm saying? The pool costs money and things cost money. So, you know. Good deal on all sides. I give it a thumbs up. But you got to look at it and go, you know what? The times, they are changing. Why is it happening? It's because that thing is not worth as much as it used to be. Because back in the days, you'd have a whole room with the plate reverb. So reverb costs money. Now reverb, reverb is free. Think about that for a second. You know what I'm saying? That's the whole game right there. Amen. End of scene. 2020. It's been a wrap. I love it. It's been great hanging out with you guys. <laughs> and uh, always going to spread the positive vibes. Let's see how uh, 2021 is going to be. And who's next to line up for that money from uh, whatever company is buying their masters so they can make new masters and make more money. Right on. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, there's two things in that. And some of sound like, you know, it's like, okay, here's my catalog, but here's my publishing. And like that whole thing is like, if it's for the, it works for the right now, especially for like Dylan's, it works to sell the catalog because, you know, it's money. It's, it makes money. You like, if you were to take 30, $300 million. So say if he did clear $300 million, they're saying it was closer to 400 million, whatever. Let's just say after all business expenses, tax, all stuff, it was $300 million. His catalog is going to devalue over time. So even at the course of life, you know, plus 70, it's going to decrease over time. So if he took, takes, takes that $300 million and he wants to invest in the family estate, that money invested properly will actually probably yield more than if they were to hold on to the catalog over time. So it's a real, it's a real great deal for the, for the publishing company because they can take that song and then it can be used in commercial. They don't have to use the actual Dylan track. They can have re-record. So it's unlimited possibilities. So th there's a whole bunch there. And here's, here's a big thing to note. Last year, more than $4 billion was spent on buying artists' music catalogs, uh, according to media. And that was like 
1.8 billion just 10 years ago. So you're talking about a less than a billion to four billion. And it's like, and it was pretty flatlined. It really had a very small gradual, and then it was the hockey stick curve over the last two years. So it's really interesting. I'd like to bring up Sam. Uh, let, let's kind of put everything together. So I want to get Sam into this conversation because I know he he's got some thoughts on this. So as we're closing out the year, we're going to close it out together. Sam, I'm back. All right. I, I, I know you have some thoughts on this. I mean, Dave makes some really great points there. What are you thinking? He does. I think I think Dave's on the money when it comes to uh, where the money is, uh, as it were. Um, the songs are what what you know lives, and and the masters are, you know, the phono records are photocopies, if you will. Um, they're worth something, but you got to have like a really particular one. And apparently there's somewhat like 6,000 covers of, of some Bob Dylan songs or whatever the, 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 the number was that was pressed about. Um, that just tells you what the masters are like. This is where I think the, uh, chips stack in the music business, right? We talk about the fact that the record business makes four or five times more than publishing because it's like the masters get 52%, the publishing gets 15%. It's like a whole, you know, value gap. But there's also the fact the matter that there's one song and there's as many recordings as you want, reasonably speaking. So masters are definitely worth something. If you can afford it and if you can stand it, don't sell your masters, young artists. Um, you know, independence is, is a power is a power position. Um, but write your songs. And, and own your songs and, and, and carry your publishing. I think that's going to be worth something more in the long term. As far as Bob Dylan's concerned, you're right, Peter. Like $300 million, let's say you put it in a 10% yield, you got $30 million a year um, versus some of the conversations that I've heard, some of the hearsay puts the annual earnings of the royalties of that catalog somewhere in the 8 to $12 million range. Mm -hmm. So he's making a lot more money investing that money than he is from the royalties. Meanwhile, Universal can just sit and say, like, we have the Bob Dylan catalog. Mm -hmm. It's like when I worked at downtown and, and downtown signed um, Yoko Ono and the John Lennon estate. It's like you that's an expensive deal to yeah. do. And the, 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 the percentage on the admin of that is very low. However, being able to say that you do the John Lennon stuff, it's prestige value. Ca carries a lot of weight. Yeah, it's it's the and some of it is just. When you have money, you know, some of these that have money, it's like, hey, I just want to own that for the sake of owning it. You know, there's that, there's a, and that's what's, what's great. And, you know, people are also, you have two sides of the coin here. It's like, you look at the business, but, and people are saying like, oh, financially, it actually makes sense to sell your catalog. And then others, and this is the big thing in the music. It's, it's like, this is your baby. Why would you ever sell your work, the everything, your art? Why would you ever sell it? Well, there's that now you flip the coin again and people are saying, well, isn't art for the public anyway? It's like, why can't I do with whatever I want to do with it? It served a purpose and I can treat it like real estate if I want to, because it is my art. And I, I, day, you know day, I, uh, I, I'm very much looking at this from like a financial instrument mm -hmm. perspective. And I'd love to know, Dave, from your perspective, how you examine not just you know deals like that are big and heady like this but there's there's plenty of small artists and small outfits doing like very very quiet deals that are a lot you know a lot less lucrative but still very you know meaningful and impactful for the artists of that scale where it's like if you had the opportunity to sell your catalog for i don't know three hundred thousand dollars would you do that or would you just say like that's not worth it because it's my art 
depends on your level of success and what you see for your future. You know what I mean? You can have success. I've had success. You can have success. And but to rise and have worth, you can have success in 2009 and be like, oh, I killed it in 2009. But is what you made in 2009 going to be worth anything in 2029? And that's the thing. And so it's like, hey, here's three, here's 300,000. Go get yourself a house. Or let's bet that the song that you wrote in the bedroom with your girlfriend 20 years ago that you don't even remember what she looked like, like that's going to be worth something in 30 years. Like, you know, it might have a value now and it might not have a value later. Or on the same uh, coin, it's like, Maybe you will have success that will continue. Do you know what I mean? Maybe like you actually forever. The Beatles will be forever. Mozart will be forever. But you can't name list of the top 10. Who was number six uh, in 1793? You know what I mean? Beatles still going to be the Beatles. But other than that, I mean, your grandchildren can listen to your songs, but can they live in a house? You know what I'm saying? It's... One thing is going to protect you from rain, and the other thing is something good to listen to. You know what I'm saying? So think about that. <laughs> I love it. Sam, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I like the perspective about it's about where you think you're going and what's important to you. And if what's important to you is leveraging your assets for – something that's more secure and, and important to you in your in your long-term life or if you think that you know it's gonna a song is gonna continue to write you checks uh for the rest of your life you know where you place your own personal value is a personal decision i think there's a lot of uh perhaps overhype right now on uh what these assets are worth from a financial perspective and a lot less conversation than there should be about what they're worth from an artistic perspective. I, I don't think anybody, you know, saying that Bob Dylan is selling out is right because Bob Dylan's been in commercial implementation with his music for decades. Uh, and <laughs> this isn't the first big thing that he's done where he makes money. Um, he continues to tour, even though I, I question whether people, you know, really love going to listen to Bob Dylan live. I've seen him live. It's, uh, you're there more for the experience and the saying you were there than you know the 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 voice of of the great troubadour. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but in any case, um, Dave, I appreciate your perspective on that. And and well, for one thing, my friend, I I hope that uh, your music catalog continues to appreciate uh, into the new <laughs> year and ever after. Thank you, I appreciate that. Well, you're nice going long term. Nice play on the words there. All right. Hey, so thank you guys. This, uh, this has been uh, an interesting year and I, I actually find it to be a great year for what we're doing. So I'm just uh, so happy that you two uh, decided to come aboard and say, yeah, let's do this. Let's have some fun and let's, uh, you know, do talk, have conver real conversations and hopefully, you know, people look at this and say it, it helped them with decisions or it made them look at something. It's more about that opening up to just that thoughts and thinking about the uh, industry in a different way. So, uh, so thank you to you two. Thank you All for right. having us, Peter.
All right. And that is going to be it for today and for 2020 Tuesday Talkies. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate the uh, support. And as every, especially everybody over at musicindustrycity.com who is registered and everything and uh, joined us in the chats and the conversations. And if you want to continue that conversation, leave a comment below. Find us there. Hit the notification bell to be about learning of new shows. And we still have a few more shows. Uh, tomorrow will be Wednesday's uh, news updates and then Thursday will be the final 2020 version of New Thoughts and then Freeform on Thursday nights 9pm Eastern and that's a call-in show. Uh, so the regular scheduled programs will be uh, are this wrapping up this week but next week I am going to do some just like live call-ins and hangouts and for the residents of musicindustrycity.com who the people are signed up there we are going to be hosting a Zoom happy hour, a little get together. So uh, check it out musicindustrycity.com and on your preferred podcast player. Thank you again to my fellow co-hosts, Sam and the Duke. Have a rocking day. Peace.